Welcome one and all. For those of you who are listening across the United States, Canada, Europe, and Asia, this is Robert Rogers, and I am the founder of Parkinson's Recovery, which has now been in existence 10 years. So in this year of 2014, we are actually celebrating our 10-year anniversary. Parkinson's Recovery is dedicated to provide information, support, and resources to any individual who currently experiences the symptoms of Parkinson's disease, as well as their family members. We, and I should say I, provide this support through a blog, through videos we've taken of the Parkinson's Recovery Summits, through member websites, through books, through audios, through all sorts of interfaces so that we can get the information out to individuals who are searching for options that can help them reverse the symptoms associated with the diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. On the program today, I'm going to first discuss a topic that is near and dear to my heart, the choice between treating symptoms and identifying and addressing the causes that are associated with the neurological symptoms that are associated with the diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. I then have some questions that have been submitted, so I'll read those questions and provide the answers that I have crafted over the last several days. And third, I'll open up our phone lines and Skype interfaces to those of you who'd like to be able to connect in, offer some suggestions or ideas or respond to anything I might have said, or also just ask questions of your own. So first, let me go to the discussion that I have prepared today, which is the discussion about treating symptoms versus addressing causes. My story for you today really begins with my mother. She was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease many, many years ago. Mom was treated for Parkinson's, but my mother also had a propensity to go to one specialist after another about many, many different kinds of concerns. Her focus was to treat symptoms. She went to psychologists and psychiatrists to get medications for depression. She went to internists to get medications for pain. And of course, she went to her neurologist to get medications for her Parkinson's disease. I did not live in Atlanta, Georgia, anywhere near my mother, so my visits were relatively infrequent, and then I was rather preoccupied and busy with my work as a professor at the university. But I did visit on occasion, and about a year before she died of a stroke, when I was visiting her in her living room and my father, on a little table next to where she was sitting, there were probably 24 different bottles of prescription medications. My mother was slurring her words. She couldn't quite keep track of the discussion that we were holding among those of us who were her children and her. 
uh, it was very disconcerting, I must say, to see what it looked like to me the medications were doing. She was taking medications as we talked, and my brother and I both stopped and said, Mom, I don't know why you're taking those pills right now. And she just nodded her head and said, well, I just feel like I need them. So she was taking so many medications from so many sources that it was literally overloading her body with way too much to process and handle. And clearly her symptoms were not being addressed. So my brother Walt and I both said to her, Mom, you need to talk with your doctors about cutting down those medications. It looks to us like this is causing some serious problems. So let me be clear, this was not only the Parkinson's medications. She had many, many different sources of medications, prescription medications that she was taking. And of course, when you take five medications, there's really, according to compounding pharmacist Randy Mincer, a 100% probability that you're going to have side effects of one type or another. Now, the sad ending to my story about my mother is about a year later, she went out to get the newspaper from the newspaper box and and had a stroke right where the box was located. The temperature was 28 degrees in Atlanta, a rather rare occurrence for that season. And she wasn't able, actually, to get back to the house. So she became very cold. Um, and by the time the emergency medical people arrived, uh, she was barely alive. They did revive her in the hospital. Uh, but the reality is she never really came back from a coma and lived another couple of months in awful circumstances without becoming fully conscious and then died of what was a, uh, a series of infections. And because her wish was uh, to be able to allow herself to go without being treated, they stopped treating and she died. So it was a rather desperate and awful ending for all of us in the family to observe. So I began to think as a researcher that there must be a different way for people who are interested in addressing whatever symptoms they might experience. And, of course, because my mother was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease as well as my uncle, I thought that would be a good choice. It's also a good choice because Parkinson's disease is a terribly challenging condition, those neurological neurons are very sensitive, and so it doesn't take a great deal to actually uh, kick them off balance. Now, here's my perspective on really what happens in terms of creating disease states. I believe that the body has a capacity to process out any toxins, whether they be heavy metals or pesticides or the residue of food that the body does not actually use. It's a rather intricate, eloquent system that really is a miracle of all miracles. But there are limits to the extent to which the body can process out all of this waste material. And I include in that bacterial infections, candida, yeast, all sorts of infections that can create problems. It's difficult not to be exposed to infections for people who have lived longer than just a year or two. So for those of you who are over 40, you've been exposed to many, many different bacterial infections and viral infections. And the body is able to control those infections. It doesn't mean 
that they're gone. It doesn't mean that they've been, quote, killed. They haven't. The body is simply able to mutate or transform the infection so that they no longer create a problem for your ability to function in a normal fashion. Now, my perspective today is that what happens with the body is that so many toxins get to be problematic for the body that the body really cannot process all of that out. And, and to be more specific, we're talking about sending out the toxins through the urine as we pee in the toilet or through our, our waste uh, that we send out through our colon uh, or through our sweating in our skin. So the body has wonderful, eloquent ways of being able to get rid of toxins as well as spitting it out from our mouth or coughing it out uh, from our lungs. But the reality is that if, there are, if there's too much to handle in the body, uh, the body begins to basically send all of this waste material to the extremities, which means either to the toes or the feet or the lower legs, uh, the hands, sometimes the arms, or the head. The head is an extremity. Most people think it's a central part of the body, but the body views the head as much less essential than the heart or the lungs. So if there are way too many toxins, that's the first thing that the body does. And if the toxins begin to be continue to be problematic, which is oftentimes the case since we are always exposed to toxins, then what in the world does the body do? Well, it begins to send out signals that something is wrong, and those signals come in the form of symptoms. Now, many people, I think, are probably unaware that what shows on the surface of our body is indicative of what's going on inside. So take a close look at your physical body, whether you happen to currently experience symptoms of Parkinson's or donor or a family member, and if you have a rash, well, chances are that rash is indicative of an infection that is housed inside your body. It doesn't matter what bumps or moles or other eruptions there are on the skin. The body is basically sending out a signal that there's something wrong inside that needs to be addressed. And just for those of you who may not be aware, some, some little point that's covered in my Seven Secrets to Healing Chronic Illness book if you have a symptom that, for example, appears on your third small toe, that toe is connected to a meridian that is also connected to an organ. So that's a signal that there's an organ that's compromised in your body that needs to be healed. So realize that when we begin to have clear evidence of problems, whether they be tremoring whether they be difficulty with mobility in terms of freezing or stumbling or falling, when we have difficulty with swallowing or when our face begins to be all of a sudden rigid like concrete, it means that there's something going on inside the body. I have to admit that when I launched Parkinson's recovery in 2004, I was really very focused on identifying a single option that would help people reverse their symptoms. 
And I thought there might be several options that would do the trick, but I was really on a search to see if we couldn't find something that would really make a very, very huge difference. So what did I do? Well, we decided after being approached by a group in Portland, Oregon in 2004, a support group that currently experienced Parkinson's symptoms, to do a little pilot study. And in that pilot study, three of us who happened to have been recently certified and trained in a therapy that, by the way, has been very useful to people with Parkinson's disease called cranial sacral therapy, we decided that we would design a whole study. We would take pre-test assessments of the 10 study volunteers. We would do these treatments for a period of three months every two weeks, and the treatments were little cranial sacral treatments that lasted only 20 minutes per person. So there were six treatments, 20 minutes apiece for our study volunteers. Now, the interesting result of this study turned on the observation by all of us that there were many different causes of the symptoms that people were experiencing. Each person had a very different experience, a very different life history, a very different report of what we were beginning to suspect were the causes of the symptoms that, that they were experiencing. So I all of a sudden began to realize that the label of Parkinson's disease is what we call a garbage can label. It simply is a term that has to be affixed by medical professionals in order to be able to provide some symptomatic relief in the form of prescription medications. So the reality is that we have all been taught that what we need to do if we have a symptom is the following. And I have endorsed this for many, many years of my life until just recently. The idea is this. We have a symptom. What do we do? Well, we go to the experts. We'll go to a medical doctor or some kind of medical professional. They'll do a quick assessment of our symptoms, and they'll get some medication, or maybe they'll actually recommend some surgery. We then get very, very hopeful, uh, and uh, we get either the medicines, we begin to take those, or we pursue the surgery, and the hope is that the symptoms will reverse or all of a sudden vanish. And, of course, the great news is everyone, I'm sure, who was listening to the program today has experience with just that result. I mean, it's quite wonderful. You go in, there's some kind of medication you can take, and you take it, and by Jove, all of a sudden the symptoms are not problematic. The treatment, then, focus is on symptoms. The focus of what allopathic medical doctors are trained to do is not to focus on the causes of these symptoms. If you ask a medical doctor what do you think is causing it, they're not going to go there because that's not their training, that's not their interest, that's not really what they do. So the focus is not on healing the primary organs of the body, for example, on the colon, if the colon is overwhelmed by toxins, or the liver, if the liver happens to be particularly toxic, or the kidneys, if they are compromised. That's not the focus of medicine. 
the focus of medicine is uh, to basically address symptoms, and that's why they've uh, been able to create so many prescription medications that people now take. And again, the experience, of course, varies, but some people are very happy and excited about the results that they get when they take these prescription medications. Now, as I'm sure uh, many of you are aware who've been following my work here for the last decade, uh, that the uh, reality is that many people who call into my programs are very critical of the allopathic medical approach, which is, of course, again, to emphasize treat symptoms and to be really unconcerned and uninvolved with causes. But let me step back and really in their defense say the following, you and I are their primary market. And quite frankly, this is what most of us demand. I think what we just have to honor and recognize is that the medical community has responded to our demand. And again, to repeat, what is our demand? What is it that we want to see? And again, I'm including myself in this statement as well. I'm not talking about other people. I'm talking about myself, and I'm guessing you can include yourself in this comment as well. Reality is, if we have a symptom, we want that symptom to go away. We want it to be fixed, and we want it to be fixed now. We have a life to lead. We have jobs. We have demands on our life that we enjoy. Uh, we have experiences that we want to enjoy, and so we do not want to spend excess time in dealing with symptoms that cannot be somehow controlled. Now, for your information, many people are unaware that allopathic medicine, and that's kind of a complicated word for simply the medicine that is practiced today by medical doctors, not naturopaths, but medical doctors, 100 years ago was primarily a homeopathic approach. And soon thereafter, everything switched to treating symptoms with prescription medications or treating symptoms with surgery. And I want to say again, I think this responded to the demands of us, the market, the people who demanded services from doctors. We wanted doctors to help us feel better. So that's what they began to do. They began to create these prescription medicines that when we take them, we expect in a matter of hours or in a matter of a few days, we're going to see a result. We're going to see that that symptom has been all of a sudden dampened or eliminated. So I just want to say, instead of ranting about what medical doctors do, they're not concerned about causes, uh, I'd like to say I'm glad that they exist because in some cases people are so disabled they have to have some jump start or else they're going to continue to go downhill. So I'm glad that some medicines are available for people to take when they really need them, when their situation is so desperate and their condition is so compromised that they really don't have the energy to take any positive action whatsoever. Now, imagine what if the whole approach focuses on causes rather than on simply treating the symptoms. Now, 
here's my story with regard to this revelation, which I had again only within the last eight or so years. I decided about eight or ten years ago when I was beginning to experience some symptoms that I wanted to see vanish that what I needed to do is to get uh, more of a holistic assessment of the toxins and the imbalances and the allergies that were problematic for me and my body. And so I pursued an assessment that's called bioenergetic testing. It's been around now for 40 years, so it's not a new approach, but it's it's something that is pursued by some naturopath doctors. So I coupled up with a naturopath doctor, Ivy Faber in Georgia, and she did my first bioenergetic assessment. It was the result, a written result that was 10 pages long, and I was, quite frankly, overwhelmed by the number of toxic substances, bacterial infections, strep, and staph that were contained in my body. I was overwhelmed. In fact, when I actually talked with Dr. Faber in my consultation, one of my questions was, how in the world can I still be alive with all of these problems that are present in my body? Well, I was alive. I was a fully functioning professor. I was able to get up and do my classes. Uh, so don't get me wrong, I wasn't dysfunctional whatsoever. But I was beginning to experience some problematic symptoms, and I could then see that there were a lot of issues that were present in the organs of my body. There was no question but that my kidneys were compromised, my small intestines were probably functioning at about 40%, if even that. My colon was clogged with toxins so that the toxins were being recycled back and forth between my liver and my colon. So the reality is that I began to view disease states in a very, with a very different perspective. I know that when we have a symptom, what all of us like to do is to have some kind of an explanation for the problem. What we'd like to be able to say is, well, the difficulty is I have cancer. Well, that's fine. We can go to that particular place and get that particular label. Everyone has cancer cells. So there's not a lot of new information in that for most people. The reality is that to say a person has cancer is not much news because everyone has cancer cells. Of course, if a person has that kind of diagnosis, chances are they have too many cancer cells. So the reality is, well, what might be the reason or what might be the reason for tremoring? Well, it's not simple. That's what I discovered. There's no simple explanation for the problem of tremoring. It's more than likely a combination of many different organ systems in the body that are compromised. It's not a simple question that, for example, the supply of dopamine is inadequate. My guess is that for most people who are experiencing neurological difficulties, there are a whole host of challenges and difficulties that the person is actually confronting. And so what do you do about that? Well, you can treat the symptoms, and as you well know, you can pour dopamine into the body, and for some people it, it, it provides much welcome relief. Now, the difficulty with that approach is, of course, in the long run, not in the short run. As I think most of you are probably well aware, what happens is when we take any any prescription medication, the body begins to literally 
become overwhelmed. Again, it's kind of like an overflowing toilet. Everything gets jammed up, and the bad stuff really can't exit. And so we begin to be overflowed with toxins and bacteria, and the body really begins to do the best it can do to process all of that, but it's literally too much. It's too much of an effort for our sensitive body to be able to get rid of all the bad stuff. And, of course, the reality is that if we've got too much bad stuff in the body, what are we going to do about it? Well, the best thing I think we can begin to think about doing is to begin to get all of the primary systems in our body back in track, back on balance. So if we have kidneys that are compromised, it doesn't mean you have kidney disease. It just means that if you've got symptoms, that may be one of the primary issues is that you have kidneys that may be diseased with an appendicitis or a staph or a strep infection or some other of the many, many hundreds of different kind of viral or bacterial infections. No, your kidneys don't hurt. And yes, your body is able to contain that infection, but the reality is the body continues to fight that infection, which means that it has fewer resources available to be able to perform the function of cleansing out the toxins from your blood and sending them out through your body in the urine. So the bottom line is I see the difference between treating symptoms and addressing causes is if the primary and sole focus that we make, that we have, is on treating symptoms with medications and with surgeries and with some kind of external kind of inputs. And when I say medications, I'm including supplements with that as well, not just prescription medications, but the body has to process supplements as well. And again, when I'm saying what I'm arguing is this is an overload. This is too much. The body is well able to process all of this. Don't get me wrong. The body knows how to get rid of the toxins. It's just that it winds up being an overload. So when the body cannot handle the challenge of processing so many challenges, and of course I just mentioned the physical challenges, there's also the problems of the pollution from cell phones and the batteries that uh, some people have in their hybrid cars or smart meters, uh, that can be just as problematic for the neurological symptoms uh, system as can be any of the types of prescription medications that a person winds up taking. So it seems to me that if we wind up only treating the symptoms, there's another issue that tends to emerge over the long run. Uh, the difficulty is this. If we're just treating the symptoms, the body all of a sudden will actually, over time, turn off all of the mechanisms that it has in place to, in essence, manufacture the kinds of hormones and the substances that are necessary to keep the body in balance. So you need to be able to support the body's ability to heal itself. And when we do any external intervention, the reality is that the body 
uh, is going to be confronted with uh, a choice. And if the choice is, well, wait a minute, I'm getting the dopamine from an external source. I don't need to make that myself. That is indeed the choice that the body will actually make. What the body will do is it will say, okay, it's not really necessary for me to make dopamine anymore. It looks like that's coming from another source. So all of a sudden, what happens is the body deactivates that ability to make dopamine, and all of a sudden it's depending on that external source. So we're deactivating the natural internal mechanism that the body uses to actually manufacture dopamine. So in the end, it's a choice, and I'm not arguing here that the good choice is to go to the issue of the causes. That's not really the point. The point is it's a choice. Many people pursue both. That is, they can't tolerate or handle the symptoms, and so they've got to go out for some kind of symptomatic relief. That's why we're happy that the medicines are available. But in combination, many people decide, well, let me also begin to work on addressing the fundamental causes. And what I want to emphasize is when I'm talking about causes, what I've discovered is for most people, there are multiple and complicated issues that are present in the physical body. Many people think when they take an antibiotic medication that they're going to get rid of all of the bacterial infections that are in their body. This is not really what happens. It certainly does kill quite a bit of them, but it doesn't kill all of them. It simply gets them down, controls them to the point where the body can all of a sudden function again. The difficulty with taking those antibiotic medications is it doesn't just kill the bad bacteria, it kills the good bacteria too. The stomach, the digestive system, has a, a number of good bacteria that are necessary for efficient digestion of the food that we actually eat. So when you take antibiotics, all of those good bacteria are killed, which takes out the efficient and effective functioning of the whole digestive system. When that goes down, all of a sudden, our thinking and our mental abilities are not as sharp, and they'll tend to deteriorate pretty quickly until we can get all of those good bacteria back into our body. So the choice of treating symptoms sometimes has some ramifications that are not always obvious. It's great if we have an infection and we have a fever and we can't function and we've got to get to work to be able to take an antibiotic and the next day feel a whole lot better so that we can function. That's a wonderful result, and it's one that many people need to seriously consider. But the consequence is that in the long run, it is a toxic substance. The body has to process it, and it may overwhelm the body so that there are too many toxic, problematic substances that are meandering around the body and the body suddenly cannot actually handle the discharge of all of that. The other complication is if we cannot maintain healthy elimination organs, and again, to repeat myself, we're talking about the colon, the small intestine, the kidneys, the liver, the spleen. These are the kinds of organs that cleanse out the bad stuff in our body. If we can't maintain those organs so that the body is able to do the work that it well knows how to do, those toxins will build out. The sad story is they then leak out 
of, for example, the colon and the small intestines, and they crawl into some of the other essential organs of the body. This obviously winds up overwhelming the body, and it, I think, can create neurological challenges. What I just said, obviously, is not focused on the neurological system, but I do believe that these sorts of challenges can wind up creating the symptoms that are associated with the diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. So it's an overwhelm for the body, and I think one of the smartest moves anybody can make is to begin to eliminate all of the exposures to toxic substances. And many people are not aware the reason they really don't get well is they continue to be exposed day after day in ways that they're not even aware of. And second of all, to improve the integrity of the primary elimination organs in their body. And again, that we're talking about the kidneys and the colon, the small intestines and the liver. Most people are unaware that in most people, we're talking here 98 and 99% of individuals, the liver is very toxic. It's sort of the last line of defense. That's what it does. That's why it's so large. It really houses lots and lots of toxins. So in a healing process, when a person is really going through a period of healing all of the imbalances and the infections and the heavy metal toxicity and the pesticides that happen to have been crawled into the nicks and crannies of the cells of their body. What happens is that the liver winds up being the last organ to be cleansed. So for most people, livers are compromised. There's no doubt about it. I don't know of anybody who has a liver that's really that clean, so to speak. Again, that's the function of the liver. That's what it does. So if you'll step back and just realize this is the process that we're all confronted with. It's the disease process. And so I think uh, focus on addressing the causes is one of the best routes to take. I detail out my other ideas of literally the the primary things people can do to uh, heal and to reverse symptoms of any chronic disease. But, of course, here we're specifically addressing the neurological symptoms that are associated with a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease is to begin to work on literally cleansing out all of these primary organs. I also think, and I said this on a number of different occasions, it helps to step away from any label of what's wrong. If anything, that's what I've learned over the last 10 years of my intensive research on Parkinson's disease. It is that that's really what we call a garbage can diagnosis. It covers many, many different symptoms. If you look on the Internet and do a search of the listing of symptoms that have been reported for these diagnoses of Parkinson's disease, what I've noticed is every symptom imaginable is listed of every imaginable disease. So if you get an identity and affinity with a label of Parkinson's disease, that's a pretty depressing state to be in because it carries with it the image that it's, quote, degenerative and, quote, progressive. And when I use the word progressive, I'm not talking about it improves. I'm talking about it it gets worse. So you're carrying with you a label that is not serving your best and highest good. 
if you're taking medications, let the doctors have that label. They have to use it in order to be able to prescribe these medications for you. But you personally can step away from that label. And what you can do is to set the intention to say, all right, if anybody were to do a holistic assessment of what's wrong in my body, it may be that the result will show just like Robert Rogers, and that result is there's 10 pages of things that are inside my body that need to get out. Now, that may not be the case, but it was certainly the case for me, and when I got that assessment, I want to emphasize I didn't have any symptoms that were serious. They were all pretty minor, but I was thinking that if I didn't address them at that point, that I would begin to suffer some pretty serious challenges. So my guess is everybody has many, many imbalances that are present, and the body is an intricate miracle that is able to address those as long as it is not overwhelmed with too many toxins. So I think it's really smart to begin to think about healing from the inside out, which is to begin to cleanse all of those organ systems. And, of course, healing at the lower level, we've just talked about the physical level, at the lower level is to cast away all of this low mo energy of criticizing ourselves, of blaming ourselves, of judging others, of basically uh, talking quite a bit about and feeling the effects of traumas and stress in our life. That's all energy that's going to clog up our entire energetic system. So we need to clear all of that out, literally speaking. And when we clear all of those sorts of issues out, we're also cleansing the physical organs of our body. Well, now that concludes my my discussion that I prepared for our program today, I want to move to the second part of the program, and that is to read uh, some of the questions that have been submitted and respond to those questions, and then we'll open up our phone lines to people who might want to connect in and talk or make suggestions or, or discuss what it is that we've been discussing already. Now, this particular question comes from Chris, and here's the question. What do you know about the stem cell therapy offered in Puerto Varleta by Dr. Ramirez? I know a lot about that particular stem cell therapy. Dr. Ramirez has been a guest speaker at two of the Parkinson's Recovery Summits. She was a guest speaker at the Vancouver Summit in 2010 and also a guest speaker at the Cincinnati Parkinson's Recovery Summit in 2012. There is a video of Dr. Ramirez on the Parkinson's Recovery blog. So if you will please visit the blog, the easiest way to get there is to go to the main website parkinsonsrecovery.com and click on the blog link. Parkinsonsrecovery.com is the portal website to the many, many other support systems and websites that I maintain through Parkinson's Recovery. So click on the blog link that takes you to the blog, which has, I might say, tons and tons of posts and information. On the right-hand column, scroll down, you'll see many different categories. So when you click on a category, it lists all of the posts that we have put up on that particular topic. 
click on stem cell implants. That's the category on the right column of the Parkinson's Recovery blog. It'll take you up to about five or six different posts, and if you'll scroll down, you'll see a video of a presentation by Dr. Ramirez that I took in the Vancouver Summit of uh, 2010. So that gives you some wonderful information about what she does and what the approach is all about. Now, the follow-up question to that is, are there any other stem cell therapies that you know to have success? Have you heard of progen cell? Uh, that is uh, a stem cell therapy, uh, and apparently they have two options for treatments. One, I think, is about $18,000, and the other is about $28,000, as I saw on the website that I actually studied uh, uh, just today. So what's the deal about stem cell therapy? Well, in following the discussion that I had a little bit earlier, this is a treatment for symptoms. It's not a treatment for causes. The body does know how to generate its own stem cells. And so what you're doing is you're doing something the body has the capability of doing itself. So one of the things you need to recognize is if you're implanting your body with stem cells, the reality is you're doing something that the body has the ability to do really on its own. Now, at the Cincinnati Summit, uh, Dr. Ramirez brought a client that came uh, with her and her husband, and they talked about the wonderful result that they got from the treatment that she had received from Dr. Ramirez in Mexico. And so they gave a presentation that we all heard in uh, Vancouver in 2010. Her husband mostly talked with her because her voice was a bit compromised. The result in the report was very positive. Her husband was very excited that finally she was functional. If you looked at her physical ability to walk and to move, it was excellent. You wouldn't ever know that she had the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. She was in a good spirits, and so it was very obvious that what Dr. Romero said about the at least short-term effects of stem cell therapy were evident from that particular case that uh, she had treated. Now, the next part of my story is consistent with my thinking about these kinds of external interventions. They are wonderful for short-term jump starts, but they are not long-term solutions. Remember, this is a treatment of symptoms. It's not a treatment of causes. So the question turns on, well, what's the cause? Why was this woman experiencing the symptoms that she was experiencing? Well, this treatment does not address that particular question. It really just gets at the issue of trying to dampen and reverse the symptoms. Now, my sad end of the story here is that about a year and a half later, her husband wrote me, because we'd been in constant and continuous communication, that she died. Her symptoms uh, after that short honeymoon of about six to eight months began to get worse pretty quickly, and she, her body was not able to sustain life, and it's a sad report that she was no longer able to continue living. So she died. I just want to say that I think uh, stem cell therapy, in my own personal view, is a wonderful therapy for people who are basically at their wit's end. They can't walk, they can't function, they can't think. They need something to jumpstart them so that they can really move toward healing the root causes of their symptoms. 
So I'm glad we have stem cell therapy. It's obviously very expensive. At the time that Dr. Ramirez gave her talks in both Vancouver and Cincinnati, I believe the cost in Mexico was $10,000. She was acquiring stem cells from a apparently reputable company in Switzerland that took it from the skin. Now, the other issue that I would just raise is the following. When you deal with most stem cell therapy, some of them use your own cells, uh, but most of them don't. They take cells from some other source. So you are actually introducing into your body an external source. It's not your own body. It comes from some other source, or it's going to have another energetic template. And so that, that, that's not to say that's good or bad, but it may create some unintended side effects and problems that you don't want to encounter. So having said that, there's no simple solution to any of this. It's not to say stem cell is a great idea or a bad idea. It's to say it's an option, an option that I'm glad is available, but there are consequences and implications about pursuing that option. For those of you that are pursuing stem cell therapy, there is one question that I think is appropriate to ask whoever is offering the therapy that you're seriously considering, and that is to ask who has tracked the long-term results of their patients. And I don't mean tracking themselves. They need to have an independent researcher track that for them. So instead of just looking at six months, chances are, from everything I know about stem cell therapy, boy, in six months you still should be doing pretty well. But what about a year or two years or five years or ten years? What happens over the long run? My understanding from how the body works is that in the long run, the stem cell therapy is not a viable therapy. And to connect this response to this question to my earlier discussion, why is that the case? Well, the reason is because it treats symptoms. It is not addressing the causes. So you're not going to be able to address symptoms in the long run unless you begin to address the causes of what's actually going on. Causes will give you a long-term result. Treating symptoms gives you a short-term result. Both are wonderful outcomes, but when you're treating causes, that's a slower journey. It takes time for the body to heal. You're not going to look at instant or quick results. You don't go in for a therapy that's treating the options and expect that in the next couple of hours or the next day, all of a sudden, you're going to have symptoms that are totally reversed. That's not what happens when you are trying to address the problem of causes. That's a slower process. The body is a little slow, actually, to heal. It takes some time physically to be able to repair any damage that might have been done. It takes time. You'll you usually have a rocky recovery, so there'll be days when you actually feel pretty good, and other days when you feel absolutely horrible, and you'll be thinking, oh, this is not really working. I'm trying to do these cleanses. I'm trying to get my kidneys so that they're functioning better, working with my naturopath doctor or my medical doctor, but it seems as though I'm worse rather than better. Well, in many cases, if you're addressing causes, you are going to feel worse before you get better. And so it's a it's a really difficult challenge because you keep wondering, is this really working or am I making it worse? Well, the truth is, if it's really working, then chances are you are going to feel a lot worse before you begin to feel better. Now, let me move on to my next question that was submitted, and it goes as follows. 
I would like to get in touch with Howard Schiffke. I've tried, and, and the website was Chi Choices, but could not locate a phone number. So Chi Choices is a website uh, by John O'Dwyer, who's a wonderful resource for those of you who have not connected with John. He's one of the Sunday Connections hosts, and that is his website. Now, if you want to get in touch with Howard Schiffke, what you'll want to do is to connect with a different website, and that website is www. And there are four words all connected together to his website. So I'm going to give you the words so that what you'll have to do is join all of those together. Fighting Parkinson's Drug Free dot C-O-M. So it's www.F-I-G-H-T-I-N-G-P-A-R-K-I-N-S-O-N-S-D-R-U-G-F-R-E-E.C-O-M. Howard gave a stunning presentation at the Cincinnati Summit in 2012. He uh, had a diagnosis of Parkinson's with some very debilitating symptoms and was totally able to reverse those symptoms. That website is a wonderful resource because Howard puts every little secret that he used to reverse his uh, particular symptoms up on his website. And he has what he calls a recipe for recovery, a recipe that worked for him. I believe Howard also provides coaching for people to help them stay on track with the recovery program that he found works for him. And by the way, uh, for for the question that you asked, I just want to correct the spelling of his last name, which probably why you had difficulty locating his website. His first name is Howard. His last name is Schiff. T-S-H-I-F, as in Frank, K-E. Now, I have another statement from Rick uh, from Denmark that I just want to read because it's not a question, but it's a statement and very consistent with everything that we've actually discussed today. Here's what Rick says. This is more of a statement than a question. I have at last discovered the cause of my symptoms. This is pretty exciting. Heavy metal poisoning. At least I've got something to act on. There's always a reason. Remove those old dental fillings for a start. So notice that the comment was not, well, if I get rid of the fillings and everything's going to be a-okay. But clearly that is a start on his journey on the road to recovery. I do provide consultations for those of you who are at this point are overwhelmed by looking at the many different options that might be available. The consultations entail kind of a two-step process. What I first do with you is we talk about your history and the types of factors that you think are causing your symptoms. And once we can kind of get a fix on that, and then I go down my very large repertoire of options, given where you live, and make some suggestions of some options that you might want to explore further. So to clarify for everyone, I am not a medical doctor. I am a researcher, which means a Ph.D. type. 
So I am not an expert on these medications, these prescription medications. To get a consultation on those, be sure to connect with your medical doctor. They're the ones who know all about those resources, or am I much of an expert on surgeries? But I am a rather international expert when it comes to the many, many different options that I've identified over the last number of years researching Parkinson's disease options. So what we do is we identify those options for you to consider uh, further. There are many options. What I didn't expect when I started this work 10 years ago was how many options I was going to identify that actually do provide relief. Now, some of them, for some people, uh, offer enormous relief. And for the same option, for a different person, it's only mediocre relief. So it depends on what's going on with your particular body. I can tell you from now having seen many, many groups of people with a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease, each person is unique. Each person is different. The symptoms for each person are very, very unique to you. So I think it makes sense to pause whatever have been your choices to date and to ask the question, all right, wait a minute, I've you know tried one treatment or another, Great, some of them have helped and some of them I'm not sure. Maybe some of them made it worse, or at least you thought they did. I think it, it really helps to pause and to say, all right, wait a minute, what's really going on here? What's out of balance in my body? And to accept the reality that if you want to engage a journey where you're addressing the causes, that's not a quick fix. And it's a journey that you have to take responsibility for. You're the one that has to launch that journey and to pursue those options. Nobody is going to figure it out but you. You are the one that's going to figure it out for yourself. What I do in these types of uh, exchanges and these consultations is I basically listen. Given what I know about your symptoms and what you think are the causes, we then explore the various options that are viable for you given your very specific circumstances. Now, just to clarify, those options are about 45 minutes uh, and they cost $95. All of that money goes towards supporting these very expensive technologies that I have acquired to be able to get out the information globally. So this particular, the radio program, the teleseminar, those together cost about $8,000 a year. So we take that money and we contribute that toward helping to subsidize these very expensive systems that I've created. And I, and I pay for the rest uh, uh, personally. Now I've got some more questions that have been uh, submitted, so let me read those and then we'll open up the phone line to those of you who are connected in. This is from John from Fort Myers. John says, what, in your opinion, is the best way to help your body eliminate toxins that can cause PD symptoms? So, John, first of all, you use the word can cause. I would just say that cause PD symptoms. The research is very clear about toxins. If you dip into the literature on the factors that cause Parkinson's symptoms, it's very clear that toxins are at the top of the list. Now, the difficulty with answering that question is it really depends on what the toxins are, number one, and it depends on, number two, your body. So there's not one great answer to that particular question. Now, on a most fundamental level, 
one of the best things that you can do is to hydrate your cells. In other words, to get water at the cellular level. Now, the reason why this is the case is those toxins get embedded in the cells. They get stuck inside the cells of your body. You've got billions of cells. If you're not hydrated, there's not enough liquid in those cells to excrete those toxins. So what does the cell do? It's not going to be able to survive or live that long, so it poops out and dies. If you're going to want to be successful in eliminating toxins, realize that they're usually located in the body in different places, usually at the extremities and at the cellular level. So probably the first step and one of the best things that you can do is to drink a lot of good, high-quality, fresh water. Now, a lot of people have this system that triggers the ability of us to know we are thirsty, called the trigger mechanism for thirst. Most of us, as we age, find that that mechanism tends to wear out, so we don't even know that we're thirsty. There are a couple of marvelous researchers from Australia who invented something called the aquas, A-Q-U-A-S. I started taking those uh, aquas myself, as did Deborah. We found it really does work. It really does trigger the thirst mechanism. I realized I didn't even know when I was thirsty, but when I take the aquas, I do. So I actually realize I'm thirsty and I drink water. But second of all, the aquas actually recalibrate the body's ability to distribute water throughout the cells rather than sending it straight to the kidneys in and out. In other words, a long hydration path rather than a short hydration path. It's an energetic invention. It comes in just a few drops that you take every day in a morning bottle and an evening bottle. They formulated one for men and one for women. So at the core level, I think hydrating the body really is a wonderful choice to make, whether you simply drink more water or if you feel like you are dehydrated to the cellular level, pursuing an energetic kind of intervention like the aquas that do not have any side effects. Now, a second fundamental kind of a step that you can take, John, is to do a colon cleanse. In other words, cleanse out the toxins that are in your colon. There are usually professionals, and I'm sure there are some in Fort Myers, Florida, who you can go to, and they'll basically do a colon cleanse for you. You can self-administer colon cleanses by coffee enemas. So you can do it yourself, and obviously it costs very little, or you can go to a professional. I've pursued this option myself. I think it makes good sense. I also want to say, John, I was grossed out about the possibility of doing that for many years. I thought when you actually go to a colon cleanse therapist, uh, it's rather embarrassing. I mean, they take a tube and they kind of put it up your anus and uh, and then, of course, the, all the stuff that's in your colon begins to come out. So it, in a way, uh, it feels felt to me like it was a rather gross intervention, but boy, did it make a difference. And the difference is that those toxins accumulate in the colon, and if you don't get those toxins out, then they're simply recycled. The liver begins to pick up the toxins in the colon. The liver gets contaminated with the toxins, and then the liver sends them back through the bloodstream, and they get back into the colon, and your body winds up spending 50% of its energy trying to get out the same toxins day after day. That's why 
you don't get well. So I think a, a colon cleanse is the second recommendation that I would make. This is a very, very huge area uh, when you look at all the different therapies that can eliminate toxins. It's huge. Uh, there are many, many different approaches. If you go to your health food store, you'll get lots of recommendations. I think, as I say in my Seven Secrets to Healing book, I think one of the best kind of skills that you can develop is is muscle testing. So if you go to a health food store and you talk to a professional there, they're going to make some recommendations on this herb or this product or that product. Well, which one is the one that you might want to seriously consider using? Well, muscle test it. Hold it, muscle test, and see whether or not your body wants that or not. For now, they might want it today, but they might not want it six months from now. So different approaches are going to work at different times. Now, a final suggestion that I've got for you is one reference that I made a little bit earlier in the program, and that was to a naturopath doctor that I've used as my own doctor, Dr. Ivy Faber, F-A-B-E-R. She's in Canton, Georgia. She does long-distance consultations, and Ivy has now done eight different bioenergetic assessments for me personally over the last 10 years. And I found them to be extremely helpful. So she does a lot of work in being able to take a saliva sample from me, do an analysis with her very sophisticated computer system, which, again, is that whole technology is 40 or 45 years now old. Uh, so it's very well developed. And then she's able to identify the issues, the toxins that are that are the most problematic, and she can make some suggestions on some some approaches that can really be useful for being able to get those toxins addressed. So I think Ivy, for me, has been a, a godsend. And I'm actually writing a book now uh, with Ivy to explain bioenergetic attest- testing. So look for it, all of those of you who are listening. It's called, What in the World is Wrong with Me? So it's a holistic approach where, in essence, the bioenergetic testing looks at all of the imbalances in your body. You get a snapshot view of everything that's not quite right, so to speak. And then, again, she doesn't just talk about what seems to be out of balance. It's not a diagnostic test. It's basically looking at the frequencies that are emitted in the saliva. And then, once she gets a fix on that, what she's able to do is to do some matching of some products. Some, a lot of them are herbal, kind of natural products that, uh, based on the analysis, will help eliminate the, the toxins. It's a slow process. You don't want to do it too quickly. Some people like to go in and do these uh, very aggressive treatments where uh, they're getting intravenous injections of a substance that uh, basically is helping to detox. I've heard many people say that it just puts them into a, a tailspin, and the reason is that it overloads the body with way too many toxins, and they can get very, very sick. So I think the last caution that I would give to you, John, is whatever decisions you make about how to proceed with this, give it time. It's going to take some time to get rid of those toxins, so be patient with your body. Your body can do it with a little support and help from you, but don't try to get this done quickly. You want to do it slowly so that you don't feel so worse that you want to give up. Now, John, you have a second question, and that is, what is your opinion of having amalgam fillings removed? Well, you asked my opinion, so I'll give you my opinion. I did have lots of amalgam fillings in my own life, and 
when I learned more about the implications of metal or amalgam fillings, I went to the dentist and I had them all removed and replaced. Why did I do that? Well, what I suddenly realized is that when I had the amalgam fillings uh, done and I had all of my teeth redone when I was a professor at the University of Texas in the 1980s, I went to the dentist. I said, take all the existing amalgams out and put new amalgams in and new fillings in. I just want to have a whole new uh, set of teeth, basically. And so I had them all taken out and, and, and then new amalgams put in. About three or four weeks after that, I lost all of the hearing in one of my ears. Now, at the time, my wife told me she thought that was the reason, and I said, no, no, it couldn't be. They, you know, The dentists have approved this as being something that's safe. But, of course, she was right. The fact is that the mercury leaked in and basically interfered with the function of my left ear, and I literally became deaf in that ear. Now, I've been able to heal that since then, but at the time, it wound up being terribly problematic for me personally because I was teaching very large, large classes uh, in, at the University of Texas. I mean, we're talking people, uh, 80, 100, 150 people. And when a person would ask a question in the class, I could not literally physically find them in the class. I didn't know where they were sitting. So I was having some difficulty literally with my teaching and being able to find where the question was coming from. Now, there's a second a perspective that I got for you on this, John, and it's the following. The perspective is that I did a radio show interview with a man who has done quite a bit of research on amalgams in the teeth, and what he's discovered is it really does interfere with the muscular control of the body. And he advises everyone to get amalgams out just because of that reason. You can listen to that radio show. You'll have to scroll way, way back to the beginning, now about five or six years ago. But if you'll scroll all the way back, you'll see that show and you'll hear his discussion. He put a Kleenex in my mouth right where he thought the amalgam was. And by muscle testing, it was very obvious that that amalgam was creating a short-circuiting in my muscular control. And so I had all the amalgams removed. Now, having said all of that, that's my personal story, John. I can also tell you that I hear, hear many reports of people who have had their amalgams removed, but their Parkinson's symptoms were, in essence, unaffected. And so it's not as if that's something that's going to be a cure-all. I, I know of one or two people who have told me that it made a huge difference. But I'd say many, many more people report that they didn't notice a big difference. But when we look at the overload on the body, if the amalgams are, are basically a leaky mercury thermometer that are leaking out mercury very slowly into the body, well, that's going to be one of the sources of toxic overload on the body. But only one source. Chances are there are other sources as well. There are also issues when you have the amalgam fillings removed with dentists that really are not what we call biologic dentists. In other words, they're not careful with the leakage of the toxins when they remove the fillings. And so you can actually get pretty toxed out by the procedure itself. So one of the recommendations I think that's really wise is do a search for biologic dentists who are very careful about if, if you decide you want those removed and replaced, uh, who are very careful with the procedure, and they make sure that as little as possible of that toxic heavy metal material, and again, it can be mercury and many other kinds of metals, are actually leaked 
in to the tissues of your body as a result of the removal. So I'm going to now refresh my questions to see if we have any other questions, and we do have one from Anne. So I'm reading this directly from the screen, and I haven't had a chance to really prepare any response. I'm focusing on natural methods for my Parkinson's symptoms. I had a recent consultation with a naturopath to assist me in addressing the causes. Well, how wonderful. And that's what naturopaths do, by the way, for those of you who are listening. Naturopaths are really somewhat similar to the offense on a football team. They're going after the score, after the reason for the problem or the symptom, whereas medical doctors are the defense on a football team. They're keeping it from getting worse. And Anne continues from Ontario. She recommended starting dopamine in conjunction with CDP-choline. She explained studies have shown that patients who start dopamine early on do better in the long run, and CDP-choline will prevent dyskinesia. She also believes you can focus on healing and eventually reduce reliance on dopamine. Have you heard of this combination of treatment? I was surprised to hear this recommendation from a naturopath. Yes, in fact, there is in a, an interview that I have uh, done on my radio show with Dr. Lori Mishley, who is also a naturopath doctor. That interview was, I believe, in 2010. It might have been 12, but I think it was 2010 in the summer. There are a couple of shows. It's a marvelous uh, interview, and she also talks about combining this dopamine treatment with uh, some substances that reduce the uh, the problem. So uh, I have not specifically got any particular result uh, for you of people who have told me what results they got with this particular approach. It sounds like it's really something interesting to pursue. Um, and, of course, you're looking at someone who is doing both, which is really interesting. This particular naturopath is working on addressing symptoms and making sure that they're not too problematic for you, but they're also working on addressing causes. And, yes, uh, it is possible to reduce your reliance on dopamine. Um, if you're taking cinnamon, those are prescription medications. I do have side effects. So to reduce that dosage has to be done very, very slowly and in close consultation with your doctor. Uh, you can't just stop taking the dopamine. So that sounds to me, and like that's really a fascinating kind of an approach. As a piggyback on her ideas, I'd recommend that you uh, listen to Dr. Mishley's uh, talk show, radio talk show, where she talks about these sorts of natural approaches that she's found make a huge difference in helping people get relief from the symptoms that are associated with their own diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. What I want to do now, this is Robert Rogers from Parkinson's Recovery. Be sure to sign up for the newsletter where you get announcements of all of these programs radio shows, Sunday connections, and the other kinds of thinking that I've been creating as a result of all of my research that is connected with uh, diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. Again, I want to remind everybody I'm a researcher, Ph.D. type. I'm not a medical doctor, so if you got questions that are related to medications, uh, just as I was reading before, 
your naturopath doctors are the best resources to be able to address those. It certainly is not me because that's not my expertise. My expertise is to look at the big picture and to explore all the options that are helping people find some relief, if not a lot of relief, from the symptoms that they currently experience. I now have the phone lines open, and so... Anybody that would like to ask a question or make a statement, all you really need to do right now is to talk, and we will hear you. So I'll be quiet and speak up. Dr. Rogers. Yes. You were talking about a colon cleanse earlier. Um, How is that different from just eating a good diet with lots of fiber? Well, it's different in the following way. If you look at what happens to the colon over time, it gets impacted with fecal matter. So there are a lot of folds in the colon. And what happens is that literally the fecal matter cannot exit. It literally kind of gets stuck to the walls of the colon. And if that fecal matter has toxic substances inside of it, then you've got sort of a permanent source of a leakage of toxins into your body. So, yes, eating high-fiber diet makes a huge difference. It will help the natural function of the colon enormously. But as I've personally experienced, I think these colon cleanses are wonderful ideas because they get the residue of toxins that are overwhelming the body out rather than the liver recycling them over and over and over again. So you'd like to think that if you're eating a high-fiber diet, then when that high-fiber gets down to the colon, it's going to push all the bad stuff out. And to a certain extent, clearly that does happen. That's why high-fiber diets are such a good idea. But the bottom line turns out to be that there's still going to be some of the fecal matter that's embedded again, in the walls of the colon, and that's not coming out unless you can have some colon cleanse kind of interventions, some water that's put into the colon and so that you can loosen up that material and get it to exit. Okay, what about if you had a colonoscopy? Would they notice that? I have to say I'm not a medical doctor, so I don't know uh, one way or another whether they would notice that. Um, I'm kind of a I'm kind of a big picture person and my big picture is for anybody who's lived thirty years or longer, uh there's probably quite a bit of stuff that's stuck there in our colon. And it just makes sense to literally change the oil, so to speak, periodically. Um I as I said earlier, I was very resistant to doing this personally. I thought it was pretty gross, quite frankly. And I thought kind of like you, well certainly I can I can handle this by eating fresh foods and foods with a lot of fiber. But when I actually saw the results, for example, in the last uh treatment that I had, um the therapist basically was looking at the screen and she said, Oh my god, look at the yellow and I said, yeah, what, what is that yellow? And she looked at me and she said, oh, you don't know. And I said, no, what is it? She said, oh, those are toxins. I thought, oh, my God. And I had just had some colon cleanses, uh, I guess, two or three years before then. So my guess is that we're living in a pretty toxic world. Any little help that we can give to our body to cleanse out all of this makes sense. 
And my other thinking on this, and again, this is just a big picture of thinking. I hate to give an analogy of a body to a car, but we do change the oil in our car regularly. <laughs> At least most of us do. And it seems to me it makes sense to uh, change some of the kind of matter that gets embedded in our own bodies and I flush that out. Again, I look at it as an overwhelm. Uh, it's not that we're going to totally cleanse out all of the problems in the, col- in the colon. What we want to do is to reduce the compromises in the various organs of the body enough so that the body can handle all of these toxic substances itself. The body can do it. It's just overwhelmed if there are symptoms that are presenting. So doing a colon cleanse is just one little small step that can be taken. It's very inexpensive to be able to help the body not be overloaded with too many of the toxic substances that it's trying to get rid of. The body knows they need to go out. The body just can't get them out because there are too many of them. So is, is there a way to find an approved person to do this? Oh, gosh, where do you live? I mean, what state? In Arkansas. Arkansas. I would just um, check around if you have some natural paths there. They would typically know the people in your area that do that kind of work. Uh, There are not many people who do that work. It's pretty difficult work, and it's very technical. You have to get training and and purchase some pretty expensive equipment. So it, it takes a big investment to get into the business. And then it takes a pretty special person to do the work. So I've learned even in larger cities, there are not a lot of people that do the work. But I would just search around uh, for people who might have the equipment and could do it. Chances are there are certainly some people that live nearby or at least in some larger cities nearby that would be able to provide assistance. If you can't find anybody who's within a reasonable distance located near you, you can always do do the cleanses yourself. There are things called coffee enemas. So do a search on the Internet with coffee enemas. Literally, you make some coffee, literally, and you can self-administer this to yourself. So you don't necessarily have to go to somebody to get a cleanse. The other approach that helps with uh, all the toxins in the colon is to get infrared treatments. And oftentimes you can find places in in your city that would offer infrared treatments if you don't have an infrared uh, kind of technology yourself. So that's another way to help cleanse out the toxins that are located not only throughout your body but in your colon as well. Other questions or statements or comments? Now is the time. I have one question. Yes. If you have a smart meter on your house and you have electrical things coming in close to the bedroom, how far away would you have to move for them not to affect you? Uh, So for those of you who didn't hear the question, it's about smart meters that are located on electrical systems that are installed by electrical companies. Uh, there is, and the question I'm assuming presumes some knowledge about the dangers of smart meters to the sensitive neurological system that we all have. If you'd like some additional information about the impact of smart meters, go to a website that's maintained by uh, Diedrich Klinghardt, K-L-I-N-G-H-A-R-D-T. He's got a great video on his website about the dangers of smart meters and the problem of electromagnetic pollution. Uh, I've recruited him to be a guest on the radio show, but he's a very busy man, and it's very hard to 
set up a time for him to explain his perspective. So look forward to my interview with him here, hopefully in the near future. So the question is, well, how far away do you have to be from the electrical meter? And the answer is, you got to get rid of it. It's not a question of being four feet or 20 feet or on the other side of the house. The reality is that these meters emit a very low energetic impulse. And so most people think, well, it's so low, it's not going to create a problem. But the research that's been done, particularly in Europe, shows that that's not the case. It can have devastating impacts on health and, in particular, the neurological system. So the best thing you can do is to just get rid of it. Now, the problem is that many electrical companies uh, make it very difficult to, for that to happen. And Dr. Klinghardt has suggestions of how you can get this done for yourself, depending on, you know, your situation. I think one approach that, prom- that has a good promise is to go to your doctor and hopefully they'll be sympathetic to the research on smart meters and ask them if they would be willing to write a letter to the electric company on your behalf and just basically have in this letter ask them to say that the smart, in his opinion or her opinion, in the doctor's opinion, this particular technology is a threat to your health, and then have the doctor send that directly to the electrical company. Now, some doctors may not willing to do that. They may not be familiar with the research, but many are. And certainly Dr. Klinghardt does that all the time for his patients, although he's more of a doctor's doctor rather than a doctor who treats patients. So there are doctors uh, that will write that kind of letter. It's backed up by lots of research that shows the dangers of smart meters. And from the perspective of the electric company, they get a letter that says that this is endangering your health. Well, that's a liability to them, right? And that creates some exposure they don't want to have. And so uh, they're going to have a pretty strong incentive to get that meter out of your house. Um, Dr. Klinkard has some other interesting suggestions that I think are a bit off the wall, and I don't think I would pursue those. But what he says is in Germany – They've had similar problems, and the research is just compelling. And so people in Germany are frantic to get these meters out of their house, and they talk to their electric company and can't get their electric company to take them out. So what do they do? Well, apparently, according to Dr. Klinghardt, what some people will do is they'll take a sledgehammer and they'll literally destroy the smart meter, okay? And then, of course, the electric company, after a few days, realizes it's not working. So they'll come in and say, well, what happened? And, of course, the person says, well, I don't know. <laughs> Of course, they're the ones that did it. But So the problem I have with this is, well, I'm not going to lie, but apparently for some people, they're so serious about it, uh, they'll kind of destroy the meter. So the electric company puts it back up. This has happened in Germany apparently repeatedly. And then the person does the same thing. Maybe they hire somebody you know, to do this for them. I don't know. So they, they destroy it again. The electric company gets upset. They come out. They replace it. In other words, after a few a few times, the electric company finally says, okay, well, we'll just take it out. So he says that works, at least in Germany. I don't know of anybody in the United States that's tried that approach. And, again, I would not do that myself personally. But but he says people in Germany have tried that. Uh, thank you. One more question. Are functional medicine doctors and the neuropathic doctors one and the same? Well, those are terms that um, I don't think are associated with any credential kind of a system. I think they're probably names that are given by the practitioners who are either medical doctors or naturopath doctors. 
So I, my answer is I don't know of any specific connotation of either of those labels to what a person might do. It sounds like both of them probably are interested in addressing causes rather than treating symptoms. Would that be your impression? That, that's my impression. That's, that's what I would guess. It may be that somewhat like the question that was submitted a little earlier, that naturopath doctor did both uh, treatment of symptoms and looking at causes. So they did the combination, which it sounds like it's a wonderful kind of an approach. So my guess is what you might want to do is to explore further what it is that they say they do and who they are and you know how they work and uh, make a choice of which one you think might be appropriate. I would also say to you something else, and this is just how I make decisions, and it's never failed me in the past, so I'm always uh, uh, feeling like I need to tell people about this. Whenever I'm trying to make a decision like that, I look at the information, and if I'm still not clear about the person that I need to see, I muscle test it, and my mm -hmm. body will always give me the right answer. Uh, so learn more about muscle testing. There's a ton of information on the Internet about muscle testing that's really wonderful. It's all free. Uh, and uh, I talk about muscle testing in the seven secrets to healing as one of those seven secrets. I think there are so many complicated decisions that we all have to make about what to do about our own health. We can ask people who are knowledgeable, but the final best answer always comes from our body. Our body always knows the answer. So if we ask our body, our body will tell us the right choice to make. So I muscle test everything. I mean, when I get ready to make a decision, I check it by muscle testing to see, you know, if my intuition is confirmed by what my body says. And, again, it's never failed me. So my suggestion would be look at the details of what they say they are. Uh, get a sense of whether you're comfortable more so with one person or the other because it's a it's a question of matching you with them. And if still you're not clear, then uh, muscle test it and see what the answer is. It may be that neither of those two people are the best people. There's somebody else that you haven't quite identified, and muscle testing will reveal that as well. A lot of people think muscle testing is pretty esoteric, and I think uh, I have to say 10 years ago I didn't know anything about what this was, and I certainly never used it. But many, many practitioners use it today. Naturopaths, it's a common approach. Many medical doctors use muscle testing. Uh, practitioners of all vintages, whether they're chiropractors or physical therapists, uh, many of them incorporate muscle testing into the choices they make for patients. So it's not it's not an approach that's esoteric these days. It's it's a pretty commonly accepted approach for sorting through decisions that have to be made. Thank you. You're welcome. Other statements or questions or comments? Uh, again, I've got all the lines open, so just speak out. I have another question for you. Uh, sure. I have uh, most of my symptoms in my right arm and hand, but I've noticed that my right thigh has a tendency to vibrate or resonate on a, on a periodic basis. It's like it's resonating with something in the environment. I thought maybe it's because I was carrying my cell phone in my right pocket, and I take my cell phone out, my leg still kind of resonates. Do you have any idea what that might be? Where do you put your cell phone now? I still carry it in my right, my right pocket for the most part, but I started trying to take it out and leave it sit around a lot, a lot more. Well, yeah, I think the cell phone 
contamination may be a reason why that uh, right hip is is vibrating like it is. Uh, cell phones put out an incredible amount of electromagnetic energy that can be extremely harmful to the body. So I would suggest I wouldn't be putting that anywhere near your body at all. And when you talk, put it on speakerphone so that the phone is pretty far away. And whenever you can use a landline, use a landline. They, they yeah, really... It's not, not my right hip, it's my right thigh. Oh, well, my... yeah. I'm sorry. I meant to say thigh. <laughs> my apologies. Um, yeah, so I would... Um, the the uh, uh, the other little rule that I can give to you is the following. So you're describing some symptoms that are in specific places of your body. The source, the actual source of those symptoms, the cause, is not more than likely your right arm or your hand or your right thigh. The source is somewhere else in your body. And if there's one place that I would suggest that you consider looking more carefully and more mindfully, it's your digestive system. Okay, could you elaborate? Yeah, so the digestive system is one of the primary uh, systems that create neurological challenges. And um, chances are there's some imbalances in that system that if corrected over time, would help provide some relief to the symptoms that you currently experience. So I'm just guessing. I obviously don't know. Uh, I don't have any diagnostic here to say that this is right. Uh, but based on lots of research, if you're just if you're just uh, doing the odds, of, you know, what are the odds if I if I begin to try to strengthen and improve my digestive system, I'll see some relief in symptoms. The odds are pretty good that if you get a digestive system that's up and running and functioning well. Uh, chances are that some of the symptoms you experience may be, in fact, relieved or at least show some relief for that matter. So the little argument that I'm giving to you is the the source is not where the symptom is located. It's somewhere else. So you can look at meridians in your body, and given where the symptom is evident, look where the meridian runs, and that will show you the organs that are compromised. So they're somewhere in the trunk of your body. More than likely, not not in your toes or your fingers or your ears. There's somewhere in your trunk where the vital organs are located. Does that make sense? Or well, you're kind of leaving me hanging, so I don't know how to go about that. Oh well, just go on the internet and you'll see meridian charts of the body. In other words, the meridians are the lines of where all the energetic systems run. Uh, these have been measured. I mean, this is not foo-foo stuff. These, this is well known. This is what chiropractors use. This is what acupuncturists use. It's been known for many years. So what you want to do is look at those meridians. There's a heart meridian. There's a lung meridian. There's a spleen meridian, et cetera, et cetera. There are lots of different meridians. So the question is, wherever your symptoms are present, okay, what's the meridian that's affected? You know, trace trace it. So look at the picture on the Internet and then trace it from where the symptom is and find out what organ it leads to. It may be that in your case, the organ that's most compromised is your gallbladder. And that's what that meridian analysis will show. Um, do you have any gripping or any tightness in your body? Yeah, the uh, my right hand and arm and shoulder and even up into my neck oh, get tight. 
for a long time my my right my head was always kind of pulled to the right and I didn't realize it once I realized it, I started working on trying to relax those muscles trying to stretch it so the it's organ like, like, uh, the organ like, issue like, so I'm right the organ issue is your gallbladder the, the gallbladder creates those tension sorts of issues in the body so focusing energy on on clearing out any obstructions in your gallbladder uh, maybe some gallstones, maybe some toxins. Uh, that'll probably result in wonderful relief from all that tightness and uncomfortableness that you're experiencing. Okay. Yeah, my my right side, my right jaw will clench too. Oh yeah. So I think I think it's a gallbladder. Remember, I'm not a medical doctor. We don't have any diagnosis here, and it's not what I do or want to do. But based on uh, my information as a researcher, if you have those kinds of problems, chances are the organ that's most problematic is the gallbladder. And if you look at those meridians, I'm just guessing that they may lead right to the gallbladder. Okay. Uh, Follow-up question to that. Would that uh, would that also have an effect on headaches, like headaches on the right side of the head? Um. There, depending on where the headache is located, uh, there is a uh, source of the problem, and it may be it's the gallbladder. I don't have that answer on the tip of my head for you. <laughs> I wish you'd written that in. I could have researched it, and I could have told you here on the program. Uh, I do know, depending on where the headache is located, you can trace it and know the source. Uh, okay. But off the top of my head, I can't quite remember if it's on the right side. You might do a research on the internet and just say, uh, "What's the source of a problem of a pain in the right side of my head? You know, a headache, and see what result comes out." Uh, the, the, there is a source of the problem, and it's not in the head. It's it's in the again, and the source is in somewhere in the trunk of the body. So okay. once you figure that out, you you'll probably be able to get some great relief from that particular symptom. Sounds like it's been a problem for quite a while. Yeah, yeah, it has. I never would have thought about looking at my gallbladder. Yep. Well, most people don't. <laughs> and again, the cause, you know, the cause is not where you think it is. That's again one of the kinds of discussions I've got in that Seven Secrets uh, to Healing book. The, the sort of the bestseller has always been the Road to Recovery from Parkinson's Disease, where I talk about the causes of Parkinson's and then the various therapies and options that have helped people reverse them. And then having written that, I then stepped back and, and looked at the core of what's really going on. And that's what we discuss in the Seven Secrets to Healing. What's at the core of what it really takes to heal from the inside out? So that really is looking at the underlying causes. And in the Seven Secrets to Healing book, too, the issues aren't just physical. They, the issues wind up being past traumatic experiences. The issues turn out being thoughts that are not in your best and highest good. Uh, so when you really get to the core of all healing, it winds up being that we're carrying certain baggage we no longer need to carry. And once we release that, we can actually heal. So we can work on symptoms at the wazoo, basically, but if we don't, if we don't work on healing what's really at the core of the problem, then the symptoms will continue to present until we're able to release all of that. Well, I want to thank everybody for connecting into the program today. We're here at the program's end. 
this is, again, Robert Rogers from Parkinson's Recovery. I'm the founder of Parkinson's Recovery, which provides support, resources, and information to persons who currently experience the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. I am opening up consultations here for the next couple of weeks, and when I do that, it means that if you need a consultation, I do it as quickly as possible. So connect in if you'd like to be able to have some ideas of options that you might want to explore. That's the kind of service that I can provide through my consultations. You can sign up by going to parkinsonsrecovery.me, not .com, but .me. So parkinsonsrecovery.me. And that's what's happening on the shores of the Puget Sound, where all the women are smart, all the men are handsome, and all the children are truly loved. Know that by virtue of the fact you are listening to this program today, that whatever choices you have made today, you are indeed on the road to recovery. I'm Robert Rogers, and this has been a program sponsored by Parkinson's Recovery.